let's worship him. Let's lift up our voice. Let's give him praise in this place. He's deserving of it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The previous song that we sang, talking about miracles happen when God moves. And if I could do a remix, I would say miracles happen when we move. Miracles happen when we start moving and we start praising God and we start lifting our hands. That's when God really starts moving. We can't come to church and say, well, I'm waiting for God to move. I'm waiting for God to kick me out of my pew and, and make me run down the aisle. That's not how it happens. When you need something from God, you start making the move, and God's going to come through. God's going to lift, lift up you out, out of your situation. God's going to bring you through it. If you need walls to come down, what do you got to do? We got to march around them and sing praises to God. If you need that river to part, what do you got? We got to start moving. We got to start walking toward the river, and then God starts moving. If you need a giant to come down your life, what did David do? David ran to his giant. Sometimes we're sitting back and we want God to do all the moving, but God says, hey, I'm waiting for you. God got here before we got here today. I'd say God's waiting on us to move. And when we start praising God and lift him up, that's when God really starts moving in our midst. Amen. And so I don't want to come to church and be a part of the phrase, a bump on a log, because what are you going to get out of it? We can't wait for God to move, but hey, I'm going to show up and I'm going to give God praise because he's done so much for me. And man, he's brought me so far. He deserves my praise. He deserves my worship and glory. And I'm not going to let my, my neighbor out worship me because he's done too much for me. And man, he deserves my praise. And man, when we do that, when we surrender to God, then God can do anything he wants to do. Amen. Amen. It's so good to see everyone here today to worship the Lord. All those that made it through the week, amen, made it here, rolled here, however you got here. But I trust you had a good time with your family and, and friends. Uh, Thanksgiving, man, we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? Amen. Most of all, the salvation of God, the grace of God, the family, and we are a blessed people. Amen. As our ushers would come, we want to uh, continue to... Uh, connected with what's going on in here, uh, pick up one of these, our, our digital bulletin out there. Uh, we have a, a, a church Christmas party coming up here, and uh, not this weekend, but next weekend. I've got details on here. If you need help uh, finding out the information, please ask me. We'll get somebody. We'll help you out, get the information. But we need people to sign up because we're going to be catering some meals. Uh, and so... Uh, uh, if you want food, then we need to know you're coming so we can order food for you. So be sure to go there, check that out. Also out there, uh, next next Sunday starts a new quarter, and so we have another uh, devotional uh, to go along with our Sunday school lessons. And, and so you can grab those out there for adults and, and youth, the kids. Amen. And so we stay connected with what's happening. Amen. And in the body of Christ. Amen. We want to pray for this offering today and pray for those that are in need, those uh, that have uh, impossible situations.
but we know who we can go to for that. Amen. Let's all pray. Lord Jesus, God, we thank you, Lord, for this time, this opportunity. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done in our lives, your many blessings, God, you've poured out upon us. God, we're here to give you praise and worship and give back to you, Jesus. We ask you to bless this offering to multiple. God, we ask you to touch each and every need, those spoken and unspoken. In Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. To worship amen. you, I live. To of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We praise you. We thank you, Jesus. Blessed be your holy name. Blessed be your holy name. Amen, amen. As we are standing, we go with the word of the Lord today. Deuteronomy, the 11th chapter. Start reading in verse 10, where the Lord says, For the land, whither thou goest in to possess it, is not as the land of Egypt, from whence he came out, where thou sowest thy seed and waterest it with thy foot as a garden of herbs. But the land, whither ye go to possess it, is a land of hills and valleys, and drinketh water of the rain of heaven, a land which the Lord thy God careth for, and the eyes of the Lord uh, thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year even until the end of the year. Aren't you thankful for the hand of God, for the eyes of God on our lives? Amen. From the, end of, from the beginning of the year all the way to the end, every single day, God's hand is there. Amen. And I want to preach to you today from this title called Faith Factor. Faith Factor. Turn to a few people and greet them in Jesus' name as you're seated today. Man, with, with over 7 billion people in the world today, we are all spread out over seven continents who make up the 195 plus nations in the world, with each country having its own unique characteristics and, and traits. But do you know how many languages there are? There's over 7,000 languages in the world. The most widely spoken language is Mandarin Chinese with 1.5 billion speakers. If you count primary language, English is second with 1.1 billion people. 
And, but English is known as the, the, the language of trade and business. The United States has approximately 335 languages spoken in our borders. While the island of Papua New Guinea has 840 languages, just spoken on that little island there, eight languages. Obviously, each language has its own history, its own sounds, dialects, and as each nation uh, has its own culture and customs and uh, societal uh, foundations that we, we adhere to in our countries. But in the ancient world, when a, a nation would conquer another nation, it would introduce its culture, and its customs uh, to these conquered lands to secure its victory in that society uh, because they believed mightily in, uh, in gods and their, their abilities to do things as, as everyone does. Um, but when uh, nations conquered other nations, they believed that their, their god is superior to our god, and so therefore... We now have to serve uh, their God. And so this would be done to show its authority over the people. Nations and societies that had been worshiping in their own way for, for poppies would now have these new customs introduced and new gods introduced because they were just conquered by uh, a superior country. And they would be made to honor these gods in whatever form or fashion they were required to. And one of the biggest impacts on the world was when Alexander the Great conquered most of the known world. And, and you may think, well, what good, what good can come from one man conquering the whole world or one man capturing, one nation capturing the entire world? Well, what he did was he introduced his gods and his language the Greek gods and goddesses, and he began to teach all these nations and most of the world he taught them about this language of Greek. Uh, and so Greek became the common language of the known world. And so now scrolls and writings that have been restricted and remained uh, inside these borders of these countries uh, because no one could understand their language, now all of a sudden uh, there is a way for these things to get out beyond the borders, beyond the, the, the country and to other places and other, uh, other tribes and other parts of the world can read and understand what is going on over there because of this common language now uh, called Greek. And so how that played out for God and his people is now the kingdom of God, now the word of God and the law of Moses, now it was translated into Greek as well. And so now the word of God is now preached not just in Israel, but now it can be taught and preached in all of the countries of the world, all because of this common language that came through the conquering of Alexander the Great. And so when Jesus appeared on the scene, the Middle East had three common languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And so once the Gospels were written, 
they didn't just stay in Hebrew now. But now there's another language you can write it in that a lot of people. Uh, and so now the, the Gospels were penned in, in Greek and Aramaic, and, and they began to circulate all throughout the world. Uh, the word of God began to spread because of one man, one nation, wanted to conquer the world for his own greatness, for his own pride and power. And so God said, well, if this man is going to do this, if this man is going to conquer the world for his purpose, then I might as well use that for my good, for my benefit of my, of my will, and I'll turn that situation around so that, yeah, Alexander the Great will conquer the world, but yet be, be, through that, Greek is going to be introduced, and now my word is going to be translated into Greek, and now my word can be sent out through all the world and preached to every gospel and every country and every creature in the world, all because of this one man. And so I'm here to tell you today that whatever is going on in your life, whatever the situation is going on in your life is not final yet because God still has the final say. God's hand is still at work in your life. It may be behind the scenes. You may not see what is going on, what God is trying to do, but don't worry because God's will is going to be done in this life and in this world. And trying to figure everything out and trying to run the numbers and, and, and all these things and all these steps and to follow all these things and procedures, uh, we can do all that till our hair turns gray. But I'm here to tell you, don't forget to add a little bit of faith into that mix because faith is God likes to move. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And so don't forget to add faith, the faith factor into your situation because that's what God needs to move in your life. It may not look good right now in your situation, but just sprinkle a little bit of faith in there. The, the numbers may not look good, but don't forget to add God's factor in there, the faith factor, and we can see what God can do when we begin to begin to trust and believe in what God can do in our lives. And when it's all over, we'll look back and we'll say, wow, I, I, I don't know how God did it, but somehow he did it. Somehow he pulled it all together. Somehow he brought me through it all. Somehow that giant came down. Somehow that wall was torn down and that barrier was broken. I couldn't see how God was doing it, but I knew somehow he was there working in the midst behind the scenes. Romans 8.28 says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and those that are purpose. If you have a calling on your life, then God has a purpose for you, and he's brought you this far. He's not going to leave you hanging. He's not going to leave you or forsake you. Then it's going to be okay. I'm here to tell you, by the, by the faith factor, it's going to be okay. Everything is going to work out to some degree, and we're going to give God the glory for it. One day it's all going to come together and we're going to think, wow, why was I worried so much? Why was I worried so much? Why did I ever doubt? Why did I ever have my unbelief in my life? Because I know that God's hand is on it and through it all. Joseph thought that he could trust his brothers with his dreams. And I mean, they're family, right? What can go wrong with family? Well, they put the, together their own plan, and they threw him into a pit, and they sold him into slavery. And uh, the suffering that Joseph went through must have been hard for him. 
But he did not give up on God, and God did not give up on him. Why? Because God was still working uh, behind the scenes, uh, that the faith was still operating, even in the darkest of nights, and even in the darkest of situations. Don't let your faith be dried up. You need to keep putting faith, that faith factor situation. And then what does jo- Joseph say in Genesis 50? He says, but as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring it to pass as this day to save much people alive. You see what adding faith can do to a situation? What it can do to a circumstance? Even though Joseph was drugged through the pits and prisons, God always has the final say. God always has a final say. And you know what God told Joseph? He said, Joseph, you deserve to go in the palace, and so I'm going to make sure you get up in the palace. No matter how low this world will bring you, no matter what the people will say about you, God is always about bringing people up. God is always out lifting people up and elevating them and pulling them out of that miry clay and and putting them in a, a place of power and authority in his kingdom. God, God's calling is about calling up, calling us up to the mountaintop to be with him. He's always going to bring us higher, uh, always to a better place. He's always calling us to, to come with him to the next level and to a, a deeper walk and a higher height in him. But it's not time to quit. It's not time to walk out on God. It's time to add a little bit of faith into our situation and to see what God can do. Because we've looked at all the facts and everything else, and we can't see any, anything happen. But if we just believe a little bit that God can do something outside of what we see, outside of the, the facts and the figures and the numbers, God can do something if we put some faith into it. Every country and every city has its own way of doing things. And when you move there, you have to make adjustments in your life to learn how to live uh, according to their customs, whether it be ordinances or or local laws or whatever it is. Uh, We have to make adjustments in our life. And Joseph, being a slave, he had to learn the customs and culture of, of Egypt. And when his brothers came, he knew who they were. But instead of speaking to them in his native tongue, he decided to use an interpreter. So he was speaking Egyptian uh, to his brothers, and he used an interpreter to speak to them. Uh, And so he didn't want them to know who he was. But after he couldn't contain himself any longer... What did he do? He sent everybody away. He broke down and he cried. And then he began to speak to his brothers in his native tongue, in his native dialect. And and they talked about everything. Uh, And so one one of the quickest ways to tell if someone is a local or not is to hear the way that they speak. Accents and dialects are easy to hear. Somebody from New England is going to sound a little bit different or a lot different than somebody from Alabama. Even though you're saying the same words, speaking the same language. Someone from Wisconsin is going to sound a lot different than somebody from Texas. Same words, same language, you're just just not from around here. That's okay. Words and phrases and idioms that people use can also identify kind of where they may come from. Uh, down the street here, just south on Plantation, there's this 
there's this big circle in the road, a road circle, a traffic circle. Some may call it a roundabout. Some may call it a, a rotary. Some may call it a, a rotunda. There's all these different names for that one thing down there. And it can kind of help tell from where you came from. All I know, I call it a roundabout, and so I don't know where everything else comes from. But uh, the words that we say and how we speak and how we act can, can uh, be identifiers of, of what country we're from or, or where, we, where we're representing. And people have different names for things, different systems and procedures for doing things. This is how we do things where I'm from. And, and uh, how I grew up, this is how we did it. And, uh, well, that's not how we did it where I'm from. We did it like this and like that and like this. And so you've got two different worlds that kind of come together, that are trying to mix together, and they don't always mix. The Bible there being two, two different worlds, two kingdoms. The kingdom of darkness and of this world and the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Both operate differently. Both have their own customs and their own culture. Both have their own values and way of doing things. And you can't, you can't blend these two together. You can't blend the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light together. There's no mixing there. There's no fellow. And one operates in darkness and the other operates in light. One celebrates and embraces sin while the other rejects sin and, and, and puts that away. One walks by the flesh and one walks by the spirit. One values godliness and holiness while the other values. Values self and lust and unrighteousness. One lives by facts and figures, and the other lives by faith. There's no mixing of these two kingdoms, of these two countries, if you will, if these two worlds. We and you and I, we have experienced both of them, but we should not be dual citizens of both countries and of both worlds. No, we need to make up our mind what side we're gonna be on, what we're going to be a part of, either you're part of one kingdom or the other, and there's no in-between, there's no middle road, there's no lukewarmness, uh, because First Peter says, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that we should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Aren't you thankful that God had called you out of that darkness, out of that world, out of that darkness of sin, that life of sin, and into this new life, this new world, and we've been called out of one world where we're used to doing things one way, where we, one way of thinking and, and one way of doing this and that, and now we are born into another kingdom where things are different, drastically different. And our duty as an apostolic believer, as somebody who has been born again, somebody who's repented of their sins and been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost and, and speaks in tongues and, and follows the leading of the Spirit, our duty and responsibility is not to, to blend these, both of these worlds together, 
but it's to choose which one we're going to live in, which one we're going to live by, and by the one we choose, that means we're going to reject the other one. That want anything to do with that other kingdom and so that's how the world does things but this is how the kingdom of God does things and we lived in both of them and so now we know how both of them operate and so we have the choice of which one we're going to live our life by the way they do and operate and speak out there or the way we they do and operate and speak here in the kingdom of God and so either we're going to live by sight and what we see, or we're going to live by the Spirit of God, and we're going to all into our situation because sometimes uh, the situation comes from the world, and we can't see a way around of it, but we just add some faith in there, then we can have God step in and do a situation and, and work, uh, work it out in us and through us, and we can come out on the other side not even realizing that there was a way out. But God is faithful and he's always going to make a way for his people, right? And, and so this is what God was doing and explaining to Israel, the nation of Israel, in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and 10, for the land whither thou goest in to possess it is not as the land of Egypt. Out where thou sowest thy seed and waterest it with thy foot as a garden of herbs. And so he's explaining uh, the way things are going to be operating here in the promised land. It is nothing like Egypt. He wanted to get that across to them. Because they've lived in Egypt for over 400 years, and they've got accustomed to the way Egypt does things. And coming out of that, that's the only thing that they know of how to do things. And so God is here telling them, hey, whenever you get into the promised land, don't be bringing that Egypt stuff with you. The kingdom operates differently than what, the, what Egypt does. Uh, and so uh, you've got to understand that you, when you come out of that, don't bring any of that stuff with you because things operate differently in the new world. Egypt has always been a type of shadow of the world. And clearly we see God telling the people of Israel that the promised land is nothing like the world. Aren't you thankful that the kingdom of God is nothing like this world? Right? Why would we want to be a part of it? If, if anything like this world, I don't want to be a part of it. But we know that it's ki the kingdom of heaven and it is from another world. And so we, we see the difference in this world and the next. And so uh, he's telling them, don't bring Egypt's customs with you. They're not going to work. They're not going to work in the promised land. Egypt's systems and strategies, while they may be proven to work there, they have the records and the data and the facts and all the figures that, and the science and all that behind uh, what Egypt does, God is saying none of that stuff is going to work here where I'm taking you. None of the things of the world is going to work uh, what, I, what I have for you in this world. And so things are going to be different. They're not going to work the same as they used to. You're going to have to learn these new ways and these new customs, new systems, and new laws. Egypt was a dry and barren land. And the truth is it's still, still that way. It, uh, not much has changed. Uh, you can't really do much uh, geographical changing unless you move yourself around the globe, which that can't be possible. So it's, it's still similar to the way it was years ago. 
and so the truth of the matter is Egypt does not get a lot of rain. Only the part of Egypt that touches the Mediterranean Sea, of the coastline there, can get some uh, water from the storms from off the sea. Uh, and we're talking not much rain either. We're talking uh, three-quarters of an inch up to eight inches of rain in an entire year. Eight inches of rain in an entire year. Every other part of Egypt gets on the average of zero rain per year. And so compare that to southwest Florida, we average 55 inches of rain every year. We get four and a half feet of water coming out of the sky every year. And Egypt only gets eight inches. We get more rain in a single month than Egypt gets all year long. And some days it seems like we get more rain in a single day than Egypt gets all year long. And so since Egypt gets no rainfall, they have to get water to water their crops by man-made systems. They've developed a life where they don't need the rain. They understand uh, uh, how they can divert things and, and manufacture uh, canals and channels and conduits that and, and make these uh, uh manufactured aquifers to help get the water to where they need them to go. And, and even still, they would have to carry pots of water to their gardens or wherever it was. Uh, and so uh, whoever controls the water controls the land. In Egypt, man was in control because they controlled the water. They funneled off the Nile and whatever, whatever got ever water, whatever sources they could. But God is telling the Israelites that wherever you're going is not like that. You're not going to be watering your plants uh, with your feet, meaning carrying the pots of water like you did in Egypt because Egypt designed this whole system of how to water these things. Uh, but God says, no, where you're going, uh, the land is going to be watered from the rain from the sky. It's going to pour out from heaven. And, and God, whoever controls the, the water, controls the land. And so God's saying, I'm controlling the land over there. Wherever you're going, I will send the rain. I will send the water. I will send the wind to bring the storms in to water your crops. And, and so uh, understand this, Israelites, where you're going is nothing like Egypt. Verse 11, but the land where you go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinketh the water of the rain of heaven, a land which the, the Lord thy God careth for, for the eyes of the Lord are always upon it from the beginning of the year even until the end of the year. That's, that's the place that I want to live is where God's, right? I mean, I know it's not, we're not there physically, but spiritually, God's eyes is on all of his children uh, every single day, all year long. Um, and, and so over here, in this kingdom, God... And he cares for the land, and his eyes are always watching. But in Egypt, you did what you wanted. You were in control of your life. You were in control of the water. You built the canals and, and the aquifers and the channels and the conduits to get the water to where you needed to go. But over here, I am in control of the water. 
I'm in control of the wind, and I am in control of the rain. And so if you want it to rain, then you're going to have to obey. You're going to have to adjust to, to my systems and my laws. In Egypt, you lived by facts and figures, and you could calculate out your answer and your solution. It's all lined up on the chart or on the graph or these eight steps you got to do, and you get this result. That stuff doesn't work in the kingdom of God because God is in control and the, the ways and the systems of Egypt don't work like that in the kingdom of God because God just needs somebody to believe. God just needs somebody, hey, I'm, I believe, God, it's impossible. The way that I see it, there's no way out. But, God, I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to sprinkle some faith in this situation, and I'm going to see what you can do. And that's all God needs is a little bit of faith to work in somebody's life. Verse 13, it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in a due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil, and I will send grass in the fields for thy cattle, and thou mayest eat and be fruitful. And be full. And so you mean to tell me that I don't have to go and dig a four-mile trench to get the water to come to my garden. That's what you're telling me, God. Yeah, that I don't I don't have to do that. You're telling me that all that I need to do is to believe in you, to believe in your commandments and to follow them and obey them, and God will send the rain to wherever my garden is. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a better life to me than having to try to manually make all that work. I just trust in God, and God will send the rain, the former rain and the latter rain, and he'll send it all upon my life because things are different in the kingdom of God than they are in the kingdom of this world. You mean to tell me that I don't have to plug the field with grass seeds for my cattle? That I, if I just live by faith and I obey the commandments of God, then God will send the grass for my cattle. Then God will provide for my, for my animals. It seems like a great deal to me. Who would not want to live in this kingdom? And so there's adjustment that always has to be made going from one kingdom to the other kingdom. And we have to let go of the old life. We've got to stop doing the things the way that we used to. And we've got to learn to live and to walk by faith and let God meet our needs. Because if he's the supplier of all our needs, I just need to make sure I'm God. And then God will send whatever I need. If I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto me. That's how things work in the kingdom of God. You put God first and God will take care of the rest. You put him first and he'll meet your needs. He'll send you rain. He'll send you food. He'll send you the water that you need. But you got to put God first in your life. And so in Egypt, you live by the facts and the figures. And you can do whatever you want to do there. But uh, here in the kingdom of God, uh, you serve God and you live by faith and God will take care of your needs. Romans 14 and 7 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, 
but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Uh, and so the kingdom of God is nothing like this world. It's not tangible. It's not meat and drink, but it's intangible. It's a righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. While I wholeheartedly agree with that verse, once I'm done running my mouth, we'll all probably go and get some meat and drink. Many will eat in fellowship with friends and family. But the scripture says that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It is a spiritual thing. It's not tangible. It's not something you can grab a hold of with your hands and, and make it and manufacture something to do with it. It, it can't be touched by the hands of man, uh, even though we come to a physical location. We open physical doors and we sit in physical chairs. That does not make the kingdom. A part of the kingdom of God, what happens is we come it's inside each and every one of us. It has nothing to do with the building or the chairs or the address. It's a spiritual thing. It's not meat or drink. It's when we come and we release our faith, then God shows up. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And so we can have schedules and programs and uh, that can say this is how it's going to be and this and this. And we can order and orchestrate and do all of these things. Or we can say, God, we just want you to have your way. God, we want you to be in control. We want to follow you, follow the Holy Ghost. Uh, we don't want to constrict it or constrain them because that's, uh, that's kind of what Egypt does is, is uh, tries to have control over things, right? And, and Israel... God was in control of all, all things because everyone surrendered to him. When we surrender our, our control to God, then God has his way and does things differently than we're used to, right? Uh, and so if we want God to have his way, uh, it, it can't be calculated out. You can't pull out a calculator and say, well, this is how God is going to uh, work today, and this is what he's going to do. He's not bound by a calculator. He's not bound by facts or figures or a graph. God is not bound by the law of natures. He can do whatever he wants to do. And so it's on to us to come and release God to let him do what he wants us to do and what he wants his will to be done in our lives. But in Egypt, where we came from, control, right? We're control of our own life, control of our own destiny. But Egypt does not depend on the rain. They make their own rain. They make their own 